it just appalls me that so many people are anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers. That's that's so absurd to me. Hopefully, this will kind of stimulate an interest in science among people who are sort of phobic about science. Welcome to the Gary Scott Thomas Show. Here's what we know. The podcast with unexpected conversations. Listen each week as we engage in unscripted conversations where we'll be just as surprised as you will be with where the dialogue goes. So join us each week and be privy to the captivating conversations that are sure to ensue. Here's your host, Gary Scott Thomas. Welcome to the latest edition of Here's What We Know, the podcast of unexpected conversations. I'm Gary Scott Thomas, and I ask you to share the podcast with at least one friend. And today you're going to want to share that because I have Judy Foreman. How about this for a resume? Let's see. Former Boston Globe <laughs> health columnist, author of three works of nonfiction, graduate Phi Beta Kappa from Wellesley College, three years <laughs> as a Peace Corps volunteer, master's from the Harvard Graduate <laughs> School of Education. I'm doing my best to embarrass you, and I'm just going to keep going. Blah, blah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And then at the end, she swims competitively with with the U.S. Masters and sings with Boston's Back Bay Corral. And oh, by the way, she's written her first book of fiction, a novel called CRISPR, CRISPR, a medical thriller. You make me tired, Judy. I make make me tired. (laughs) Do you, first of all, thanks for being here. And uh, Judy's one of those names. Your name is like my name. It it gets, there are certain names that get lost in time. They become a product of their generation. You don't see a lot of five-year-olds named Judy Nardi. You see a lot of eight-year-olds named Gary. That's true. That's true. It's a generational thing. <laughs> but it'll come back. It'll, you know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I grew up with one Dwight, right? But I've never met another Dwight since then. Right. I know. <laughs> Just, it's, it's very weird. I know in my building where I live, I live in a condo now, and there must be, in my book group of eight women, there are four Judies. <laughs> wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where I play golf, there's three Garys. And we're all yeah. we're all old farts. I mean, we are, you right, know, right. exactly. It's well, one of those names. It's just one of those names that kind of fall through the cracks and it'll come back and you and I'll be long gone. But well, you won't because you'll still be out there doing exercise. And listen, I exercise <laughs> and I saw, you know, you, you wrote the book Exercise is Medicine. You take it to the next level. Do you, do you truly exercise every single day? No, but I aim for every day and I get about, I usually get six days a week. Yeah, I've got to have my day off. I mean, my body just has to have that yes. day to heal. I, I agree. I agree. But you, you but you sort of have to aim for seven to get six. <laughs> well, you know, the way I get five or six is telling myself, okay, we're going to get a day off. Right. Because oh, yeah, it. it's dessert. It's dessert is what it That's is. That's the reward. Yeah, yeah. That if yeah. I get, if I get five or six days in, then I'm like, Hey, okay, come Sunday. We're done. We're done. We're, yeah. done. we're not yeah. going to, we're not going to go back that route or anything else like that. Have you, have you always been the type A? I mean, we're going to get around and talk to your novel, but I just find your story so interesting. Have you always been like that? Like the super go getter? Yeah, apparently yes. By the way, I, every once in a while you seem to cl- drop out. Is that um, is our sound okay from your end? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry if I'm dropping it. You right now. We're doing well. If it if it goes okay, we'll, great. We'll... Just wanted to warn you. 
Yeah. Well, well, thanks for that. But you've, you've sure. always been that way. You've always been just, just nonstop go getter from even an early age, as far as you can remember. I'm afraid so. <laughs> I keep trying to become a type B and it, it never works. <laughs> wow. So, so for you, it's nature, not nurture. Uh, uh, well, who knows? Uh, I guess if nurture is rewarding, then it becomes part of your nature. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but yes, I'm certainly, I'm certainly wide this way. That's for sure. Wow. Uh, just, uh, just ask my husband. He, he, he's not, and he, he's not all that happy all the time. How fast I How many times have you but, heard the uh, phrase, Judy, could you calm the hell down? How many times has he said that? <laughs> Not exactly that, but slow down would be more like it. <laughs> well, you know he's thinking it. You know there's part of him that's just thinking, woman, just calm down. Because my my wife yes. is the same thing. My wife dots every I and crosses every T. And I think what I bring to her every now and then is I have to sit back and go, okay, breathe. Just breathe. And, yeah. and and I will admit she has made me step my organizational game up and, and everything else as far as trying to get things done and the list and all that stuff. So it is that yin-yang. Yes, it is. It definitely is. You help each other, kind of, whether you want to or not. <laughs> has writing always been a passion? Uh, I guess it has, looking back. Yeah, I wrote for my uh, my high school newspaper and for my hometown newspaper. And in college, I went to Wellesley College. I worked for the college newspaper. And uh, then I made my way to the Globe. I First stop was the, the Lowell Sun, a small uh, city uh, north of Boston by about 20 miles. And I, I, that was my first real newspaper job. And then I went on from there to the Globe, where I have been uh, for most of I've been there for most of my career. And then I left. Actually, it's been about 20 years ago to uh, continue my column as a freelancer, but also to write books. So that's that's the, been the trajectory. But now you obviously with a columnist, you must I think there has to be a part of you that has to love deadlines because you face them all I do. the time. I do. That's exactly right. You, you've got it. Yeah, I, I write fast and I'm, I think I'm pretty organized. And yeah, I doesn't. I just do it. Well, um, it, it, it's because you I would, think most have to. reporters do. Yeah, most journalists do. Well, or it has a way of weeding you out. I mean, because, you know, it's 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 yeah. there's there's a certain amount of stress in any job that he could he can become either daunting like yours and deadlines. Mine has been in radio. And the thing about radio is it's a never ending mall. You have to fill it up every day. And there's times where people right. go, uh, I can't do it anymore. You know, so it has a yeah. way of weeding you out. So that's why I ask that you must love if you don't love the stress. It's like I always tell people about children. Don't if you can't enjoy drudgery and understand what that means, don't have kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I haven't I haven't ever met too many journalists with writer's block or too hung up about stuff like that. I mean, I think yeah, I mean, editors editors and reporters are a little different. I think editors might be more shy and reporters are more extroverted and and sort of as you say go-getter. Um, but it takes both to put out a newspaper. And um, yeah, what what would be stress for one person is sort of fun for somebody who likes deadlines. I would love. I mean, the 
the, the whole thing about science, because I love science, right? I, I, I do a bit on my show each week about science because when I was growing up, new science news literally came out once to every 10 or 15 years. And now I can do a weekly yeah. bit where I literally have five yeah. to 10 things that I talk about new science news. It's got, you had to be right there during the heyday. You got to see the explosion. That's right. That's right. And that's, that's in lots of facets of science, you know, space and certainly biology with, with CRISPR and this new technology. Yes, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it, we have a, we used to have a daily, a science section at the Globe and a very good science writing department. We, there were four or five of us and we would write daily practically for the paper with new developments. So, so many science journals and you basically follow the science journals and, um, it becomes a, of a, a news making beat, which is really fun. What has been some of the biggest surprises that you've covered? I mean, that, that you just off the top of your head. And that's why I'm saying it because if it's not on the top of your head, then it's not. It wasn't something that made a big impact to you. But what's some of the biggest science stories that you think has come out in the last couple of years that will have a huge impact? Oh, well, if you limit the last couple of years, I guess CRISPR. But, you know, back in the 80s, AIDS was a bombshell. And I covered that daily. I mean, there were so many researchers were studying the virus and, and trying to work on vaccines, which we still don't really have. I mean, that was a very exciting and terrifying story. I mean, lately, I haven't been writing my comments. I retired from that, basically. Uh, but all the work on vaccines for COVID is extremely exciting. I mean, the, the handling of the epidemic by Trump's government was awful. But um, but the science behind the vaccines is spectacular. Um, so I would say in the last couple of years, there's that. And then you've got what I've been writing about, which is CRISPR, which is uh super exciting um you know i i turned i chose to do it as a novel um but as a scientific development um the the two women who were at the leading the charge in developing crispr uh just got the nobel prize i think was a year ago um so this is a very very hot topic now it's it's a novel that concerns gene editing right i mean that's that's where crispr it's it's a terminology that comes about that concerns gene editing uh as far as being able to take in take out bad genes insert good genes which sounds awesome huh it it not only sounds awesome it is awesome um for my novel i chose to do it the other way around and take out a good gene and my evil geneticist character put in a bad gene but that was just for the the sake of the plot uh in in the real world people would not and should not do that uh the promise is that you can take out or modify so-called bad genes and change them into good genes and there's a lot of work on that there's already um Last year, about six months ago, six or eight months ago, a, a man who was blind um, by heredity in, in Oregon, they injected CRISPR into his eyeball and managed to change a gene that had made him blind. And now he's not blind anymore. And that's a permanent fix. Also last year, um, some team from Harvard and MIT, both of which are right near me here in Boston, um, managed to cure a nasty disease called sickle cell anemia in mice. And in Texas, there's a young girl who's 
18 or 19 now, who had her sickle cell anemia uh, essentially cured with, with gene editing. Sickle cell, I don't know if your listeners know it, but um, it's, a, it's a terrible disease. It mostly afflicts um, African-Americans. And what causes it is, is a gene that's bad that makes the hemoglobin in our bodies um, and the red blood cells get into a twisted shape. And the cells can't go around the corners of the blood vessels as they twist and turn. And because they get stuck in those corners, um, it causes enormous pain. I mean, it's an ex- exquisitely painful disease. Uh, so being able to cure that, uh, which we're on the verge of doing, is spectacular. And there are a number of other diseases lined up and being studied now to be treated by CRISPR. I, yeah, and the reason I use the caveat of, you know, good, bad and stuff is because even with these things that you just mentioned, we don't have the long-term side effects. And, and I have this I have this great motto that I live by. Nothing ever turns out the way you think it will. It just it just doesn't. We have so many drugs that started off as being used for something else that ended up being for something else. Uh, and, and so I, I find that interesting. The, the, the laws of unintended consequences say we are be able to, yes. to, to, to sit back and create all of these things. All of a sudden now, if we have a 120 year, 120 year lifespan. What does that do to society? What does that do to the birth rate? What does I mean, there's all these interesting questions you get to pose. Absolutely. And um, I by my book before this was all about exercise and aging. And, you know, we are living longer and longer and exercise is a major way to prolong prolong life in a healthy way, not just keeping you alive in the nursing home, but keeping you out of the nursing home. Um, so, yes, we are headed toward unless the climate change destroys the planet, which is. Uh, probably a more likely possibility than the, the bulk of the population getting to be 120. But um, if it were not for climate change and the potential destruction of the planet, we could see a lot more really older people. And, and we already are beginning to see more so-called centenarians, people who are 100 or more. And super centenarians. Yeah. And, and as that goes up, it brings with it its own thing that we don't think about. I mean, you know, the economic consequences, you know, you just and, and, and even with climate change or whatever else, we can all go and go down whatever political bait you want. But still, we are talking a long time and it, it, not in the span of our lifetime. Put it that way, uh, it, that it's going to be interesting to see what these unintended consequences end up being. Yeah. I mean, unintended consequences can be good or bad. There are a number of drugs, you know, designed for one thing that turn out to help something else. Sometimes researchers look at the side effects of a drug and think, huh, actually, you know, to some people that would be a bad thing, but it might work for this other disease. So, yes, there are unintended consequences that are bad, but there are also unintended consequences that turn out to be a benefit. It's not clear what the unintended consequences of CRISPR might be. There are a lot of ethical issues uh, to do with CRISPR. Suppose you wanted to have use CRISPR to make your babies taller or smarter or blue-eyed or one blue eye, one brown eye or whatever. Um, you know, who gets to use it and how expensive would it be and who would who would not have access to it and who decides all these things? A lot of those questions are you could look at them as unintended consequences for the ethical issues surrounding this new technology. I mean, it comes up with every new technology, like atomic energy or whatever. Um, but it's certainly coming up with CRISPR for obvious reasons. If you're if you're tinkering with our very basic DNA, um, there are a lot of ethical questions that pop right up quickly. 
Well, absolutely. I mean, the, the Nazis would have loved to have had a super soldier. And you can't uh-huh. tell me there's not tens of millions of parents who would do anything to have an athlete in the family who's going to sign a hundred or two hundred million dollar contract and would take any risk they could. Heck, you have you have people now giving their 14 year old steroids. Uh, I, 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 that's appalling. It's terrible. Yeah, I, I agree. I, uh, I wanted to ask you when it comes to writing with CRISPR and, and the medical thriller. Sure. How hard is it to capture the villain's voice? Because the heroes are great. But to me, it's, I'm an English, I'm an old English lit major. And, and my thing is, if you don't have the proper villain, everything else doesn't matter. Well, that's interesting. Nobody else has asked that exact question. I made him up. He is not modeled on uh, any doctor or scientist I have ever known. Although some of my friends in Boston, oh, I know who you are talking about, but <laughs> they're not. <laughs> it's that is absolutely not the case. Um, it, it, I, I made him up, and um, how hard was it? It was hard. I had to think up. A compelling backstory, uh, and in his case, it ended up being that he was a. Uh, he's he 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 is Jewish. I am not, but my character was, and he was an Ashkenazi Jew whose um, grandmother, in my character, got uh, you know tortured by the Nazis and died in uh, a concentration camp. So he carries forth this uh, huge grudge and revenge fantasy against Nazis. That was pretty easy to figure out. Um, but then, I don't know, I just somehow kind of got into his mind. Um, but you're right. That was an interesting process. And it was much easier to model the uh, the heroine uh, after people I knew or after myself. For my next novel that I'm already working on, it's harder to um, get in the head of the main female character because she's very different from me. So that's, you know, I think the more different the person is from you, harder it is to get their character. That's, that's pretty obvious. But it's also, that's partly what makes it fun, you know, trying to do that. It seems like that would free you up also, right? I mean, because when you're you're writing in that voice in your own head, and it, and I think it's very common to take, to take parts of yourself for the hero. Well, because we all think, even the villains, and that's my question, the villains rarely, really good villains, don't view themselves as evil. They feel they they view others as misguided and they're trying to fix it. At at least to me. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know too many villains, so I'm not well, sure. Yeah, because <laughs> most villains don't see themselves as villains, right? I mean, you uh, know, we never know when we're the villain in somebody else's story. I'm sure there's people out there yeah. going, that damn Gary or that Judy, Ugh. right? So we never know <laughs> that we're, when we're the villains. But so it, it, that's to me is, but being able to still have that that damn near sociopathic quality that would enable a good villain. To me, that's interesting. Yeah. Yes. And and you're right. It is. It's a foreign concept to me. I don't think of myself as a sociopathic personality. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> I think if you did, you probably aren't. You know? <laughs> yes. I, I think that's probably 
true. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's interesting to see where that goes with it, because as we said, when you're trying to build this stuff up, I know, uh, you know, it, the scientist in uh, China, Hei, Hei Zhengku, is that was his name? I'm not I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing yes. it right. But I mean, he, I think you are. He took the the twins and 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 did stuff, and he's in jail or house arrest or whatever house arrest is in China. Ask the bat scientist. Right. We don't we don't know what house arrest is. Uh, but uh, but again, I don't know if he viewed himself as doing something evil, right? Even though what it was was against the rules. That's the exactly. That's to me is where that that villainhood lies. That's interesting. That's not just a complete make believe villain. And to me, that's where really you know, Yago thought he was he wasn't the villain. He you know. <laughs> It, it, there's yeah. always there's always that interesting side effect, you know, where we see the hero as the hero only because it's presented to us that way. Yeah. Or you know, look at their actions and see whether mm-hmm. they're beneficial or not. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the 2018 and he used CRISPR to alter a gene in the embryo of, of twin girls. He claimed he was doing it to make them resistant to AIDS, but he you're, you're completely right. He violated all the norms of uh, scientific experimentation. He was doing it on embryos. You're not supposed to do that. And he, you know, I don't know if there was really how much informed consent or, you know, he really, and he got in, a, as you say, he got in a lot of trouble. He, he was sentenced to three years in jail. I think you're right. It may have been um, house arrest, but his action really, uh, woke up the world and uh, got everybody all scared about CRISPR, which is kind of bad because it's essentially a very promising medical development. I want, I wonder when you when you you touched on the COVID uh, things like that, and I remember I read in one of my scientific things that they had isolated what they feel was the gene that causes COVID to to mutate the way it does, uh, and and it, it it's interesting as I said going back to going to saying nothing ever happens the way you think it will. I wonder in in the end if this whole COVID pandemic. Will this end up being something that we get to use for the greater mankind? If we figure out how to address issues like this, going through it now may mean something awesome for the next, for the next, my kids, you know, my grandkids or great grandkids. Yeah, certainly, I think in terms of vaccine development, uh, that that is already happening. I mean, I think scientists are learning so much about how this virus works and how it mutates and how to combat it, especially with these mRNA vaccines. That's really good. Hopefully, societally, we're learning that, you know, we are all in this together. And, you know, you can't be, I mean, it just appalls me that so many people are anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers. That's, that's so absurd to me. Hopefully, this will kind of stimulate an interest in science among people who are sort of phobic about science because, you know, it's scientists, science is, is, is wonderful and it drives forward, you know, kind of by natural human curiosity. And hopefully that will end up with leading us to better vaccines and, and better understanding of how things like viruses jump from animals to people and just sort of how the natural world works. Well, and ideally, yeah. I, I, just one last point. I mean, 
the pandemic should have enlightened people to the fact that we are all on one planet and what happens in China or Africa or someplace can can travel and become a problem here. And I, I keep hoping that that will have, a, have an effect on people realizing the same thing is true for climate change. We are actually all in this together and uh, we have to act like that and, you know, take some action to to slow down uh, the carbon dioxide emissions. So, I mean, it all kind of in my mind, kind of coalesces. Chris Burt, a medical thriller. I, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it at Judy's website, judyforman.com. And you're already working on the next one. It's, is it another in the same vein? The next, it, it, So it's different characters. It's not the same heroine. Uh, well, I don't want to give too much away. Plus, I haven't gotten that far. <laughs> what, that... <laughs> Come on, I want uh, scoop, Judy. <laughs> so do I, so do I. No, it, it's... Uh, some 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 similarities, but basically quite different. Um, I'm exploring a whole new territory for me, so there's a big. I'm on a big learning curve. Put it that way. Okay, I I so, promised her I would get her out of here because why? You have a class to go teach. Is that what is that what's going on? Uh, I'm actually taking this one, not oh. teaching it, but yes, I do. Well, your your <laughs> guest lecture and stuff at Harvard. You've been there. You've done so many things, and you've got so many things going on. Hey, thanks for the time that you've given me. I've found this just fascinating. I've so enjoyed our conversation. Great, I've enjoyed it too. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe, download a few more episodes, and please leave a review. Reviews really help us get this out to more people like you. Also, we'd love to hear what your favorite part was. Be sure to join us on social media to engage in even more unexpected conversations. Until next time.